Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. My name is Sam Dover. I'm a beauty and personal care category director at Mintel. And today we're going to be discussing the rising cost of living. So what it means for consumers and how brands can respond. Now, this is a topic that we've discussed throughout this season of the podcast, um, but we've decided to revisit it as it's something that our clients are constantly asking us about. So with that in mind, the plan today is to answer some of our most frequently asked questions, including some of the questions that we received from our recent British Lifestyles webinar. So with that in mind, I'm joined by Toby Clark, Richard Shepherd, and Francesca Smith. So to get us all started, can I just ask you all to briefly introduce yourselves? Let's start with Richard. Hi, Sam. Uh, yeah, my name is Richard Shepherd. I'm the category director of business to business, social and economic research here at Mintel. Um, and a lot of that involves talking about a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. Um, so we should have a good conversation. I'm Francesca. I'm a lifestyles analyst here in the UK um, and I research and write reports about different consumer groups and their behaviours. So like Generation Z, parents, seniors, people like that, and also cover cross-category topics like sustainability and charitable giving. Hi, yeah, I'm Toby Clark. I'm Director of Research uh, for EMEA at Mintel. Uh, I look after all of the, like, mainly the UK reports, but I tend to get dragged out when things go horribly wrong for the economy. So I covered the financial crisis, I covered COVID, and now I'm spending a lot of time looking at the cost of living crisis. Thank you. So to get us started, I just want to set the scene a little bit. So consumers around the world are facing exceptionally high inflation. And as a result of that, they are feeling pretty worried at the minute, or so I would imagine. So with that in mind, what are people most worried about and how much optimism have they managed to retain amidst all of the uncertainty so far? Um, I mean, I'll try and keep some optimism at the end. But I mean, the first thing to to understand is that consumers really are worried about their finance at the minute. Um, so some of the research that we did for our recent uh, British Lifestyles report found that 85% of Brits, um, cutting through all different demographic groups, uh, so that they are worried about the rising cost of living. And that tallies with regular research that, that we do here, where every month we track uh, household financial well-being, uh, how consumers feel that their finances have changed over the last year or so, and also confidence for the coming year. And all three of those measures, uh, we've, we've seen substantial falls over the last year, uh, and that's ramped up as well in the last few months. And so to put it into a bit of uh, context, uh, when we look at confidence for the year ahead, in, in August of this year, we, we had the weakest set of results for that. Uh, that particular question uh, in all the time that we've been tracking confidence, which started back in 2009. So this is kind of a, a historic level of, uh, of, a, of a confidence crisis, so to speak. But despite that, most people do continue to get by. So we do have you know, a similar trend when it comes to financial well-being, where people are feeling worse off than they, than they did previously. Um, but in, in September, 71% of people still told us uh, that their household finances were at least okay, so they were at least making ends meet, uh, and 73% said that they should be fine over the next year, uh, even though within that, 50% did say that they had concerns about, about their, their uh, finances going forward. Um, so there is, there is some reason for, for optimism, but it is a very tight situation for a lot of people. 
where we see the biggest sort of cause for optimism, if, if that is uh, the tone, is um, in the demographic differences that we see. So, you know, we'll often see the current situation described as a cost of living crisis. And for a lot of people, that is precisely what it is, is a crisis. Uh, and there's people having to make a lot of really difficult decisions and, and really struggling to, to get by. But it still remains the case that there are, uh, you know, there is a group of higher earners and people who were particularly well set going into this this period who are able to absorb those price rises and, and are still showing a good degree of uh, resilience and ability to ride out the storm. And that offers opportunities for brands going forward. Amazing. So I'm going to move the question on now because I don't want to get too bogged down in the scene setting, so to speak. So... I'm sure what a lot of our listeners want to know about is how this is impacting consumers. So in that kind of environment, what kind of behavioral shifts are we seeing or what do we think we're going to see in future? You know, how will consumers change to kind of weather the storm, so to speak? I mean, we're already seeing some shifts in behavior and a lot of them are the kind of things that you'd expect when times are tough. So we're seeing people saying they're shifting to lower cost retailers and you can see some of the discounters like breaking through and like really challenging the, the mainstream grocers. We're seeing people talking about buying private label more often, so trading down within categories. Uh, so there's, there's all sorts of areas of what you call sort of classic recessionary spending where people cut back on, on discretionary items and they are starting to come through already. Although, um, as you know, I'm not a beauty expert, but I know from quizzing you on it, you've got some of the upsides coming through as well. So like, people talk about lipstick effect a lot, about people spending money on these sort of everyday indulgences. And like I said, that's already coming through. So I know from what you said, Sam, that lip color has been doing pretty well in the last six months or so. So there's always upsides. Like, there's always sort of positive shifts in behavior. And so you've got to balance them against the, the, the threats as well. Yeah, definitely. Any beady-eyed listeners out there may have seen Johnny, one of our food and drink analysts this week, talking about the indulgence index. Um, so that's been in the media this week as the kind of replacement term for the lipstick effect, because the lipstick effect is essentially something that impacts the cross categories, this idea that consumers treat themselves to affordable luxuries that make them feel good. Um, so that was definitely something interesting in terms of, although I very much come at it from biased, the lipstick effect is almost direct in my category. It um, definitely has broad reaching implications so one thing i know that we've definitely or we've definitely had questions about from clients is the kind of macro um versus micro behaviors so how they're changing kind of big things like things like holidays and big big ticket spend um versus kind of small ticket items so things like they're kind of everyday groceries what kind of shifts are we seeing i think in terms of um big ticket items um, we know that from yeah, research for British lifestyles that around half of consumers were delaying some kind of major purchase um, of either a holiday or an event or, or actually like just an item um, but I think that's not really quite the full picture I think going back to what Toby was saying about luxuries some one area that's going to do well there is luxury travel and holidays and that kind of feeds into that wider idea of the rise of appreciation and, and desire for experiences so obviously over the pandemic we were kind of cooped up for so long people weren't able to do things and now we're seeing that kind of bounce back where people are wanting to spend more on leisure and out-of-home experiences and um, holidays so I think those categories where they're providing that really unique um, experience whether that be yeah within leisure or uh, overseas travel is still going to be able to do well because there's still that demand there. I think I'm into Mintel we're celebrating plug like our 50th 
anniversary this year. So we've been through a few recessions. And I, I'm trying to work out, I, I don't know, depending on what you count as a recession, I think it's my, my third since I joined Mintel. Like, the COVID one, I don't know if that counts as half a recession or not. But there's all these behaviors that you see coming through every time. And so the holidays are a really good example where people will try and cut spending, but people are really reluctant to ditch holidays altogether. So, you know, they'll shift to they'll shift away from short breaks, like emphasize the, the longer summer holiday over then sometimes. There's other areas where spend can be cut pretty much or put on hold indefinitely. So stuff like white goods, they're always hit pretty early in a recession. And I think you can start to see some of those reports coming through as well. So there are categories where people will just almost drop out altogether unless they have to replace their washing machine or their fridge freezer or whatever. And we've done research into this recently. Um, Sam, it's not good news for you, I'm afraid. You might, you might want to hold your ears. But uh, yeah, holiday spending is when, when we ask people uh, about what areas of spending they would most prioritize, if they had to make cutbacks, holiday spending is, is the top one. So of, of people who ordinarily would spend on holidays, 54% of people say it's the it's, it's among the, the top categories I'd want to retain spend on. Um, in contrast, premium beauty and grooming products comes out uh, bottom of that list. Only around a fifth of people saying they'd prioritize it. Um, and it com- kind of comes back to that idea of experience. You know, you can treat yourself with uh, with premium beauty and, and grooming products. But when people have been through that period of, you know, the, the pandemic era, and we've still got to consider that a, a factor when people are making these decisions, um, they are still choosing to prioritize uh, experiences. And that's where ho- holidays and, uh, and, and stuff like that really comes through quite strongly. But I mean, that's also where this gets really, really messy because it's really hard to know what is pandemic behavior. So what people are doing because they're worried about COVID, how much of this is sort of the bounce back from COVID and the pushback against it. And how much of it is just because a lot of those COVID behaviors were also sort of recessionary type behaviors. So it's for different reasons, but people couldn't go out for dinner. They couldn't spend on food service. You know, they didn't go out as often. So those are all the kind of stuff you'd expect to see during a recession. And it's, 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 like I said, it's just really messy. Like how much of this is a hangover from the pandemic? How much of this is recessionary type behavior coming through already? Yeah, I mean, to second that, it's definitely hard to pin down what's happening in beauty right now because we've got the kind of the after effects of the pandemic and the fact that actually lipstick sales have done not great in the last couple of years, um, almost terribly. <laughs> um, but whereas they're doing exceptionally well now, but is that because... A, because consumers are coming out of lockdown and that's, you know, the inevitable replenishment of products as they actually start to go back into workplaces and start socializing more. Or is it the fact that it's, you know, coming straight back to that thing that it's an affordable treat during kind of difficult times. So it's definitely challenging, as you say, to kind of analyze it properly. But I do think, yeah, there's definitely scope for those kind of trends to re-emerge. Um, and I think one of the things that to follow on from Richard's point about, you know, people not necessarily prioritizing premium beauty as we go forward is the since the last recession, I do think the one thing that's changed quite significantly in beauty is the availability and the choice. So kind of value, mass market options are now far more sophisticated than they were last time around so that trade down isn't as much of a compromise and that's something that we're definitely talking about more and more at the minute so i'm going to move the conversation on again um so again this is something that's come up countless times with some of our beauty and personal care categories but it's also coming up with analysts in other categories 
and it was one of the most asked kind of questions after the British Lifestyles webinar. So what? how do we think priorities are going to change? So will consumers continue to prioritize things like sustainability, health, charitable giving, all the things that we've kind of been talking about over the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic and afterwards, do we think they're still going to be high on the priority list? So we know from research that we did in June um, that climate change, in particular, is is uh, is still a high con- a level of concern at least. Um, the difficulty for consumers is is balancing that concern with how much they can afford to prioritise it right now, um, and so that 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 raises opportunities and also challenges for brands because we are going to see an element. We're already seeing an element of um, purchase behaviours that were previously driven by sustainability concerns are going to be superseded by by price and 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 more immediate factors but the concerns that under that, that underpinned those choices previously are still there and so there's an opportunity for for brands that have got a new a new consumer coming in maybe trading down from a you know potentially an eco brand to a, a mainstream brand or a white label um there's an opportunity to show those those people the products that you're now choosing can actually serve those purposes. So we're seeing stuff like durability becoming a more uh, valuable commodity because you know you might not be able to put money into the super eco-conscious brand that you previously supported with your product choices, but you are able to make a, a relatively green choice by purchasing a product that lasts longer, for example. I mean, some people they're just not going to have the choice. You can't. They can't spend extra on recycled products or. or- products with a stronger ethical tinge because they, they just need to make every single penny count. But then you've got the flip side of that, that you've got, you know, the main, like the, the real push for sustainability is this whole idea of recycle, reuse, reduce. And actually, in a way, I mean, that's that's also recessionary behavior. I mean, the ultimate sustainability move is to buy less stuff. And that's also a way of saving money. So it's like these behaviors, you, you can reframe them in a way that actually sort of does become more sustainable. So what we saw last time, like in previous recessions, we've seen an increase in the people buying sort of investment items of clothing. So you spend a little bit more, but you buy something that you know is going to last, which is a value play on one level because, all right, so you're spending more, but you're going to get more use out of it. But also that's a sustainability angle because you're not, you're not contributing to landfill. You're not buying into fast fashion as much. So there's ways that you can you can combine it even in tough times. Yeah, I'd agree with um, what both Toby and Richard said there about how kind of this is going to be a time where consumers can really use brands' help to make those green and ethical decisions for them when they're going to be more kind of strapped. Um, but just picking up on the point you mentioned about charitable giving and kind of priorities there. So obviously this is going to be a really difficult time for charities because they will both be facing their own rising operational costs as well as obviously the people that are normally donating to them are going to be facing you know higher costs in their lives which means they'll be feeling less comfortable to donate too and actually from the last recession um the trends they were seeing in charitable giving was that not that people less people were donating but that the amount they were donating was falling and that's kind of something we've seen in our research too so i think it was back in april when we were asking about um yeah people's charitable behaviors and the um, proportion of consumers that were donating was staying the same so it's around two-thirds of people and it has been for the past few years but the amount that um people were able to donate was kind of polarized between those people that were able to spend quite a lot and those people that were doing what um they call micro donating so donations that are less than kind of 10 pounds so i think it's going to be really a tough time and obviously it's going to mean that some people have to 
uh, yeah, pull their charitable donations, and that will inevitably be the case. But for those people where they can still, um, yeah, still afford to, I think it's going to be for charities pushing those micro donations wherever possible, and also utilising those online methods and digital methods of donations that are becoming increasingly more popular, especially among those younger adults who actually might be doing a bit better in terms of with the current um, situation because they haven't got less financial responsibilities. Yeah, interesting. I don't know if I'm completely going to divert the quest conversation here um, and going off on a very separate issue, but I, I feel like it's worth kind of discussing kind of employee support. So I feel like we're talking about consumers and consumers are obviously in the most part employees as well. Um, so A, do we think kind of, how do we think brands and businesses can support employees? And B, do we think when consumers see any of those messages around, say, for example, I know there's been kind of a lot of retailers coming out and saying, you know, what they're doing um, to support consumers. Do we think those kind of impact purchase decisions in terms of where people, for example, choose to shop or the brands that they choose to support? You can see that. I mean, there's a few brands coming out already that are making quite high profile statements about how they are, you know, using some of their profits to, to pay their, their workers higher prices. I think you can start, there's a bit of a parallel with that with what seems kind of quite widespread talk for the industrial action, action that we're seeing at the moment. So there's a lot of industries where people are striking. And it does sort of feel that in the middle of a cost of living crisis, those strikers have a good amount of sympathy from the general public about sort of trying to fight to protect their incomes. So you, you can see you can see some employees sort of going quite public and saying like we are supporting our team, even if that means we've got to put price rises through. We're going to increase those wages, and so then it kind of becomes an employee well-being and potentially a branding opportunity as well. I think one like every recession is different, but one thing that's really unusual about this one is just how strong employment is as well. So vacancies are high. Employment is really high. Companies are still, despite the fact that the economy is already looking a little bit shaky. I know, I mean, it's the same at Mintel. Like, we're, it's really, really hard to recruit in this market. So that push to make sure that employees are looked after and that, that wages are are kept up is actually, I mean, that becomes a competitive advantage in, in what still is, like I said, a really tight employment market. Yeah, I mean, just to, to put kind of a blunt point on it, Research that we've done shows that around a fifth of people uh, who are currently in work so that they're considering changing jobs because of the rising cost of living. So it is something that people are seeing as a as a uh, a way through the the challenge of of inflation. You know, there's two ways of looking about it, right? Even if you take it uh, in its simplest terms, you can either spend less or you can earn more, and and people are looking at both of those options. As Toby says, the um, the employment market is is really quite strong at, at the moment in the UK still, and and it doesn't look like it's going to change radically anytime soon. Um, so it is a strong, uh, arguably a strong position for employees to 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 operate in. Having said that, um, brands are brands and employee employers uh, are only going to find it more difficult to to meet their own inflationary challenges. Um, so they do need to find. M- more innovative ways of supporting employees if they can't meet those uh, those wage demands. Yeah, and I think one way of doing that, where of course you know wage increases would be ideal, but not always possible, is through that offering more flexibility and a better work-life balance, which we're seeing come through in all the research. Is what employees really want um, 
a top reason yeah, for moving jobs was to earn more money but apart from that it was for better work-life balance so I think it's a flip side you've got two sides to this so in one in one way offering more flexibility is going to um, help the employees by saving money so this could either be through reduce um, from working from home remotely so they could reduce uh, or cut out commuting costs altogether or it can be through um, more flexible hours so they can avoid paying peak travel costs and then this is also going to really improve employee well-being because we know it's something that they really want so it kind of will benefit both uh, the employee financially and kind of they'll be happier at work as well. So that's, I mean, that's interesting. That's basically another take on this whole pandemic behaviour blurring into recessionary behaviour as well. Because, I mean, that obviously was kicked up by the pandemic. But what you're saying makes perfect sense. It's it's a way of helping manage costs during a, an economic slowdown as well. Mm. Another downside for beauty, because if you're working from home, it's far easier to put your Zoom filter on and not bother with your makeup. But, <laughs> <laughs> but then... Uh, I think you've almost got the opposite, though, said in with household. I mean, household and beauty seem to be moving in a totally different direction, where the household was kind of like the style of the show during the pandemic because people were spending so much more time at home. They had to clean more often. They That focus shifted back onto the home. And then as the world has returned to something closer to normality, household hasn't, hasn't done as well. I mean, it'd be interesting to see whether the recession starts sort of shifting that into reverse or at least slowing the return to sort of more average, more normal levels for households. I mean, I know that you have stuff like scented candles that did well during previous recessions and it like exactly that kind of lipstick effect idea where you're sort of cocooning, you can buy a premium product that isn't massively expensive. It makes your home more often, it makes the home a, a nice sort of more indulgent place to be. That, that also came through during the pandemic. Then it started falling off. It'd be, you know, that's the kind of thing that you could see sort of having a bit of a bounce back in the next year or so. Yeah, I did see some articles circulating around financial lockdowns and the fact that people might be forced to stay at home. So might suddenly start doing reviving all of those pandemic behaviours that we picked up during COVID. Like, surely there's only so many times we can talk about home baking, though. <laughs> I've been talking about home baking throughout the last 15 years solid. <laughs> at some point, people are going to stop wanting to make bread and cakes. Ah, everybody always wants bread and cakes. <laughs> True. So moving the conversation on again, I feel like we've talked a little bit now around the impact on consumers, um, how they're feeling, what they're doing. Um, but now I want to explore the impact on brands. So how do we think or how are brands being impacted so far and what do we think is going to happen as we look ahead? I think the most fundamental um, point to make is obviously they've got their own inflationary challenges. So as much as consumers are seeing prices rise on shelves, uh, so are brands. And when they're dealing with their, their providers and also when they're dealing with their own logistical issues, costs are going up everywhere. Um, and so what's quite interesting is the decisions that, that they're having to make and, and related to that, the demands that are being placed on those types of decisions by end consumers. Um and so the you know the basic question is how much do they just absorb these price rises and how much do they pass them on to to consumers? And in an ideal world, they'd pass on one hundred percent of any uh, you know increase in price, and there'd be no ramifications for that, and consumers would be able to to take the take the hit and pay for these inflationary issues. Obviously, that's not the case, and so we have seen. Uh, across different um, categories, at least conversations about the types of uh, of approach that, you, that brands can take, and and that's 
kind of centered around things such as uh, shrinkflation. So, you know, reducing pack sizes, reducing uh, product sizes uh, and skimpflation. So reducing the quality of individual um, products. And so we've, we've asked consumers about this and we, we've, we split it out into different categories and, and, and it's interesting to see how the responses play out in those categories. So in grocery, when we talk about everyday food and drink spending and, and household spending, um, consumers are really quite split, but it's interesting that increasing the price is seen as the last option. It's seen as a, a last resort and there is support for reducing the quality of products and uh, reducing the size of products before uh, before increasing the price. So consumers are to some extent flexible and, and willing to, to work with brands, uh, you know, to take innovative approaches to avoid those price rises. Um, but when you step out of the, the sort of the day to day, that flips on its head entirely. And we can see, um, going back to something that we talked about a few times, the, the importance of experience, because when we ask the same question, and we ask it about holidays and we ask it about pubs and restaurants, people are much more supportive of just putting up the prices. If a brand is having to make a decision around putting up prices or reducing quality, if it's something that people are paying to treat themselves with, paying to have a good time, they'd rather just pay more for it and potentially do it less frequently uh, than, than, you know, take a hit on the quality and it not being potentially worth it. The thing about, the thing about that question, which kind of surprised me, is one of the options was, so we had increase if if a brand was facing higher costs it was like would you rather they increase prices reduce pack sizes use cheaper ingredients and the last one was stop running promotions and discounts and i was like wary about putting that last coding because i thought that was just too easy an option and that everyone would just choose that as as a way of sort of you know it's almost like a no cost way to brands having to deal with with rising input costs but actually that you know there was still quite a lot of support for promotion and keeping those special offers going which is really different to what happened in the last recession when you got that big wave of like everyday low pricing where the emphasis was on about price transparency and price simplicity and being able to go to the supermarket and knowing what is going into your basket how much it's going to cost you without having to work out like what's this the two for one and what's this 15 percent off and just all the sort of other noise that's around it so I, I thought that was, i mean that was an interesting angle on it i, I kind of really thought people would say okay just stop stop messing about with special offers but that that didn't really come through with this question i said well yeah i mean they kind of do but then like i say last time around that's where the mainstream grocers really got caught out because they got so stuck into discounting and complicated pricing and then Aldi and Lidl came in and just had that really really simple option like you just go in there aren't thousands of different products like you, you don't look at an entire row full of shampoos or whatever and the pricing was was really transparent and that that was really really appealing after the financial crisis like that really worked in their favor it, it doesn't seem to be playing out this way that time this time I was going to say this time around, you're seeing a lot of yeah, the supermarkets are making like a direct effort to kind of yeah, price lock and drop their products and make sure they're kind of matching with Aldi and Lidl. Um, so I think that, that's one way that they're going to try and, like you said, with the, um, I think one of the supermarkets has been raising their wages as well to employ to for their staff. So I think those kind of things are going to look good um, in these times and maybe yeah, keep their support. Uh, yeah, another issue when we look back to comparing what we're seeing now with what we saw through the financial crisis is 
brands are having to really identify where they are in the market. It's important in you know ordinary times to know where you are in the market, but when we get into a downturn like this and consumers are making uh, decisions, really tough decisions uh, on their, their spending habits, it's not just a case of a, of a race to the bottom in price. That is very important. But we, we saw last time that brands that were able to focus on on value and, and really stand out in that in that way uh, found a way to succeed as well. Um, the, 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 the difficulty and the risk is being stuck in the middle. And I think that's something that all or a lot of brands are, are kind of grappling with at the moment and, and finding a way to stick out. You know, can they stick out on price? Can they stick out on value? And if not, where are they going to be left? Because it is a bit of a risk to be in that in that middle ground. I'm always really curious about the middle squeeze. Because surely for different consumers, the middle is always going to be different. So what's the middle ground? And it obviously is hugely dependent on category as well. So there's always, you know, what's middle ground to one consumer is expensive to another and cheap to another consumer. So I feel like I'm just, I'm always curious about that middle kind of squeeze conversation. Yeah, knowing your audience is a key part of knowing where you are in the market, right? Because if you're um if you're focusing on the lower end, then that then that middle ground really does still come down at the lower end of the market. So you know it, it might be that for some people an indulgent purchase is, you know, simply buying the kind of beans that isn't white label but is 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 actually the you know a branded option. Um so so yeah there's there's different solutions, there's different uh answers to, to that question based on the, the category. But I think what it comes down to at the moment is uh, really factoring in those, those demographic differences between lower and higher earners and remembering that we've still got that post-pandemic effect. And that's impacting the, the higher earners because they're still able to, to indulge on it. They're, they're able to act upon it. Uh, Francesca mentioned earlier about the positive prospects that we see for luxury travel. Um, and you know that kind of comes down to, you know, can you be the best experience? And so when we're talking about the the bottom and the middle and the and the the, the top of the market. I think it, it can be as blunt as you know. Can you be the cheapest? Can you be the best? And if you you can't be either, then it's going to be quite difficult. Just another point on that, which I find found really interesting when I was reading the British Lifestyles report, which kind of explains that gap really well is that in the end travel market the two kind of best performing sectors are the luxury travel but then also the camper camper van and caravanning holidays so i think that really explains the kind of divide you're having for the people that can still afford to spend on their holidays and are, are wanting to splurge and they've got that demand still from the pandemic they're choosing obviously those luxury holidays where possible but for those people that are struggling financially now but still see holidays and experiences as a kind of like that necessary luxury they're choosing to obviously go for those cheaper um options that are staycations but are still kind of prioritizing that which i think's yeah a very interesting um anecdote from it this kind of goes back to sam's point like so when you're talking about camper vans being a, a cheaper option i don't know if you've looked at how much it costs to hire a camper van recently but it i think it's sorry caravan yeah, I mean, it's, actually, I mean, it's true about any sort of recessionary behavior. I mean, I was, uh, so I said, I'm sick of talking about home baking, but that was always fun as a way of saving money. And being someone who likes cakes, there's, there's no way you're saving money by making your own cakes. It's always cheaper to go out and buy them. And so a lot of it is almost, uh, like, it's going to sound a bit harsh, but like sort of poverty theater a way to feel like you're sort of making sacrifices and behaving in a recessionary way, but actually it's it's not really saving you that much money. 
So staycations, you know, a lot of the time they can end up more expensive than getting a cheap package holiday. But you kind of feel like you're doing the right thing and you get this sort of like halo that, oh, yeah, we're staying in the UK, we're sacrificing our two weeks in a villa in the south of France or whatever, we're doing the right thing. It's Like I said, there's a bit of theatre to it for some people sometimes, it's me being cynical. So before we move, I've got another question about brands before we kind of move on to my next kind of theme. And this came from the British Lifestyles webinar again. I just thought it was really interesting. So how will consumers shopping down or trading down make decisions about which value retailers and brands to shop with? I mean, again, I guess this, I mean, it's it's relative, isn't it? If you spend your time shopping at Waitrose, then Sainsbury's is going to be, is going to feel like a step down. I, I think, I mean, it said loyalty. I know at British Lifestyles, we've got a question about loyalty and whether that exists in a slowdown and whether people will shop around. I think what we're seeing for brands, again, like it's in opposition to that everyday pricing, everyday low pricing we saw last time around, is that some of the big grocers are, especially Tesco, using their loyalty card offers really, really well and like really, really investing in those. And so anything like that can help sort of tip the balance between different retailers. I think, I mean, a lot of the time, I mean, a lot of the time it just comes down to habit and convenience as well. So, you know, are people going to switch to a supermarket that's 15 miles away because they've got slightly lower prices than the one that's down the road? I mean, probably not. So there's, there's so many factors at play. Following on from that in terms of loyalty, I mean, you've just kind of hit the nail on the head there with saying, you know, Tesco and some of those really big players are going really hard on the loyalty scheme thing at the minute one thing that kind of came through from the questions that we got through for the brit life webinar again was how difficult it is for kind of smaller players to compete with that um and actually do we think you know is there a way for some smaller brands to compete with things like loyalty schemes i mean one thing i'd say that when times are difficult knowing your customers is really really important because it's really easy for messages to go astray uh, it's really easy to to just get the wrong tone of voice, and I think that's probably one where area where smaller brands are an advantage. Like they, you know, when you are a company the size of Tesco or you know the big multinationals, maybe you don't have quite such a strong understanding of your customers. And when you're trying to when you've got to appeal to absolutely everyone, you've got to try and create a product that works across the entire board. That's that's going to be hard to get any sort of real differentiation and cut through. And if you're a smaller brand, if you're more agile, then you're probably in a better position to respond to your customers' needs better than the really, really big brands. I think, I mean, one of the big things with the recessions is there's always disruption and that always leads to change. And, you know, coming out of the financial crisis, for example, it took a few years to come through, but you've got this whole new wave of startups that people, I mean, a lot of them sort of came out of big companies and were the, the financial crisis made them reassess their priorities and thought, actually, no, I don't want to be doing this. I want to do something on my own. I want to start out and then set up my own business. And then a few years later, you really saw the payback, like a lot of disruption, especially in food and drink. Like you saw the big multinational food and drink companies really getting hit by these smaller, more agile brands that kind of really nailed those customer demands. I think at any time where people are sort of having to make difficult choices and really think about what they're spending. If you can be more agile and more in touch with your customers, then that actually does give you a bit of an edge. 
you might not have the buying power power of Tesco or Aldi or you know Walmart or whoever. But if you can get the right products out there that fit the consumer mood, then that that will win out eventually. Yeah, I and mean, also the, I mean, this is kind of more of a, an open question, I guess, than 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 a than a statement, but. I kind of look back to um, the height of the pandemic and the the, the lockdown behaviours that people adopted. Uh, a lot of them through, you know, no choice of their own. You know, we were, we were restricted on where we could go, but local retailers did quite well during that period, and we saw much more of a focus on localism. Um, if we do get into this uh, position of, you know, uh, Sam, you mentioned it earlier about. Uh, financial lockdowns and and people revert into quite recent behaviors where they weren't spending money and they were you know for a different reason because of covid but they were staying close to home and they were treating themselves in different ways i wonder if we'll see uh, a revisiting of of those behaviors and and again local stores that are able to to stick to to stay there for for consumers benefiting in that way it is i mean it comes back to this idea that when things are disrupted people really think about what matters to them and if you see local shops, smaller brands struggling, then actually there is the chance that people will step in and try and like actively support them. Yeah, if they if they see the times, of, people know the times are tough for businesses as well as for for consumers. So there is a degree of sort of capitalising on that sort of David versus Goliath approach of like supporting your local companies or supporting your local brands. It doesn't. It, it won't all come down to price. And then we keep on mentioning British lifestyles. And I think, so we're forecasting consumer spending at like 1.5 trillion for 2023, aren't we? And we're still expecting to see, it's offset by inflation, but we're still expecting to see growth year on year in, in nominal consumer spending. So I think it's really important to remember that there is still money out there to be spent. And people, there are some people that are really struggling, but most people, like, Rich will know this line, like just most people get by most of the time. There is still a huge amount of money out there. And so brands can't afford to just sort of shut down and just sort of panic and try and cut costs. And it's not all just going to be about price. There's other stuff at play still. Perfect. So that leads me to my last question. I'm going to put you all on the spot now. So thinking about the conversation that we've had, if you had one piece of advice that you would give to businesses right now, what would it be? I'll go first. It's kind of stealing what Toby just said, but I would say that, yeah, of course, price is going to be really at the forefront of consumers' minds and brands' minds. But I think, yeah, we, they shouldn't be forgetting about all the other concerns that people have and priorities that people have. So the main one I would say, again, is that sustainability concern. Um, and this is a time where brands can really help consumers make those good ethical decisions on their behalf um, so I don't think they should be forgetting that I remember after this uh, during the pandemic we were talking about what this meant for brands and Johnny Forsyth made the really like made a really really good point but yeah at the moment people might not be as worried about sustainability but we know that it's been a trend that's coming like we know that's becoming more and more important to consumers and it's been rising last for 10, 15 years or whatever, and it's not just going to disappear overnight. So a brand that just goes dark now and just focuses entirely on price, and then suddenly in three years' time when everything's looking a bit better, is just like, ah, ta-da, we were green all along, right? But surprise, like, we're, we're still really ethical. I mean, people aren't idiots, and they'll see through that. So, yeah, you can, you can put it to the background slightly, but you can't, it's not something you can just switch off and on like a light. 
I think my 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 main point I've already kind of touched on it, but it's just that it and we're market research agency and we work with a load of advertisers so of course we're going to say it but there is a massive risk to going dark and just panicking and just shutting down and cutting down innovation spend cutting down marketing spend and just trying to sit it out for the next two three years because things will get better at some point things will improve and it's kind of similar to that sustainability point if you go dark now and sort of cut back on innovation cut back on marketing then you know that there's going to be other brands out there that aren't doing that. And uh, I've just been working on a presentation about it, looking at what it means for, for people's recovery coming out of a coming out of a recession. If you do shut down too hard now, then you're going to lose so much ground on your rivals when things do start picking up. Yeah, I think my point as well as, uh, you know, Toby mentioned in his before, it's something that I've already said. It's something that I've been uh, saying quite often recently. And it's a really, it's a really simple message, which is that it is really, really, really important that brands know who their audience is, know who they're wanting to target, and to target them quite aggressively. Um, yes, a lot of brands are going to focus on value and, and particularly on price, and and almost go for that sort of race to the bottom competition. Um, but there, there are huge opportunities still at the higher end of the market. We're coming out of the the pandemic still. It's a delayed uh, recovery. You know, this year was supposed to be the big recovery from COVID, and obviously, it's not worked out like that. But we know that there's still a mountain of lockdown savings that can be unlocked if you can get the right message and and show that you're offering the the premium experiences that that higher end uh, consumers are looking for. So don't be afraid to to target that end of the market, and and don't be afraid to to use. Um, issues other than price and, and value to, to market those those products and services. Just don't get stuck in the middle. So on that note, I think that is all we have time for today. We have covered so much in this conversation. Before we finish, I'd like to do a very brief recap on the conversation and highlight some of the key takeaways for our listeners. So the reality of it is, is that consumers are worried about their finances and behaviors are shifting as a result. Consumers are really looking for value and they are willing to move around and switch to different brands and different retailers to try and find that value for money. But other factors continue to influence their decision making, including things like convenience, but also things like sustainability and corporate ethics as well. Then from a brand perspective, a key takeaway is there are opportunities at every price point. Many consumers will still be looking to indulge and they often remain willing to spend on things like experience. And with that brand, agility continues to play a role in success. So being able to shift and respond to consumers and what they want, and also be taking into consideration the importance of being front of mind is something to take into consideration. So things like innovation and marketing can really put a spotlight on you and help you stand out in a challenging environment. So thank you very much to everyone for listening today. The conversation doesn't end here. Please head over to Mintel's LinkedIn and Instagram and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the rising cost of living, what it means for consumers and also what it means for businesses too. If you want to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, head over to Mintel.com and follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And please do also check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts. Finally, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. And that is goodbye for now. And we'll catch you next time for a new episode of Mintel's Little Conversation. Little Conversation.